Welcome everyone to this week's episode of In the Know with Kat Bobino. Today, my extra special guest is Fawn Powell. She's all the way in New York. She is a PhD candidate at Cornell University, as well as the founder of SALT. So Fawn, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And can you tell the audience what is SALT? Yes. Okay, I will start with SALT. So SALT stands for Sodium Analyte Level Test. I am a founder, and it is the first portable device on the market that measures salt intake at home. And it's important because there are 78 million people that have hypertension, um, also known as high blood pressure, and basically they need to watch their salt intake. We give them a way to measure their salt directly at home, no doctor or lab needed. That is amazing. And so how did you even come up with salt, and how did you get that started? That's Let's tell us the story of that. Of course. So um, as you know, I'm a PhD candidate here at Cornell. So I'm a trained scientist through and through. So as a scientist, sort of what I do is is science. I'm in the biomedical sciences. Um, so basically, I took this class that was part of our curriculum, which was basically business fundamentals for entrepreneurial scientists. And in this class, we basically had to create a fake business around a patent that the university owned. So everyone picked their patent. We had like hundreds of patents in this huge portfolio. And so I opted to pick this equation patent um, for sodium because my dad actually, who's now deceased, he had high blood pressure. So when I saw this salt equation that immediately sort of spoke to me, I was like, wow, this is like, you know, something I can relate to. So um, I took the equation and in my little sort of fake class, I built a business around it. So with this little equation, um, I built a physical device to implement the equation, and I also designed a mobile app um, to use with the device. So the actual device is a smartphone-based device. And so um, I did that in the class as sort of our fake fake business pitch. Um, so we gave our business pitches at the end of the class, and there happened to be a cardiologist who was also an angel investor in the audience who saw my sort of fake class business pitch. And wow. so afterwards, she came up to me, and she was like, wow, this is really great. I think this idea has legs. Um, and so she was really one of my first champions that led me to pursue the idea. And that was about two and a half years ago. So fast forward two and a half years, um, we developed our working prototype. We raised some money. We are starting a clinical trial and it's all really exciting. That is an amazing story. And it's so interesting that although you are in the biomedical sciences to, um, for your degree, you actually had an opportunity to take kind of like a business aspect of it and then on top of that you must know coding or computer science even build the ass so it's like you're multifaceted with everything you're doing which is so amazing oh that's so great thank you <laughs> I will say that the startup is very much a mix of the sciences and tech um, I personally think to be a good digital health or health tech founder you need some sort of expertise um, and as far as the app, I did not build it all by myself. I definitely hired app developers, but okay. I was able to do some of the basic um, computer vision myself because that overlapped with my PhD work. And that's amazing. Let's go ahead and talk about that. So what are you getting your PhD in? So I'm getting my PhD in computational neuroscience, which is a mouthful. Yes. So basically it, <laughs> it means I analyze human brain scans. So I don't know if you've ever had an F, like an MRI, like, you know, like, let's say you fall mm -hmm. and they sort of basically give you a, it's a little bit, it's a glorified x-ray. Right. It's an x-ray with more, more picture quality. So I look at MRIs, I look at fMRIs, 
I look at DTIs, which look at white matter tracks, all sort of MI you can think mm-hmm. of, I look at. Right. And so basically we look at that um, in various disorders and we build and test mathematical models on those brain scans. So I've looked at autism, I've looked at schizophrenia, depression. Right now I'm working on something with Huntington's disease. Um, so that's sort of what I do. Wow. So what you're saying is you basically, not only are you in this science track, but then now you have mathematics that's falling under it that you're using as well. Definitely. So it's very al- interdisciplinary. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like you are the complete STEM package. You know what I'm saying? You have a science background. You're using technology and engineering with your um, device for SALT. And then on top of that, you're using mathematics in your PhD. So you completely hit like all the salt or all the STEM realm. Oh my goodness. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, I I give credit where credit is due. That is awesome. So what made you go to Cornell? What, how did they get to this point? Okay. So I guess I started off doing research pretty early. Um, I randomly spent a summer in high school at St. Louis university in a research lab Um, And I wasn't really sure what I was doing, but I did it. I just emailed the professor. I was like 16. And I was like, hey, can I volunteer in your lab? And he was like, sure. Yeah, okay. Nice. Um, And where was that at? Where'd you volunteer at? Oh, St. Louis University. So I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. Yeah. Um, So then that sort of led to my, I guess I was naturally curious in science before that, but that was sort of my first, first foray into research. Um, after that happened, I went to college. I went to Duke for undergrad, um, where I majored in neuroscience and biology. I also studied Spanish, a bit random. Um, <laughs> but once I was there, I really benefited from having a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I wanted to be in a lab, so I sent out an email. I was 19 years old, and I sent an email to the director of our Institute for Brain Science. So he was like a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I like now I would never have done that, but back then I just had no shame, and I figured, hey, why not? Um, so I sent him an email and he said, yeah, come into my lab. And he was a real champion for me. He gave me really great research. Um, I had an amazing postdoc as well, um, who I worked with, who really mentored me and together, um, they allowed me to take charge of research projects. I got to do two, two very cool research projects. Um, I actually started researching anorexia. So -hmm. I got to interact with patients that actually had anorexia and we just wanted to sort of understand Um, the mechanisms behind disgust associated with food. Right. So in that lab, I was able to, they, let's see, they paid for me to go to conferences. I got to go to Washington, D.C. and New Orleans. Nice. (laughs) Um, And I guess in that lab, I was really mentored. And when it was time to sort of go to graduate school, my mentors really helped me. Um, because at all these schools I was applying to, they knew most of the people because science is such a small world that everybody kind of knows each other. So um, I sent out a bunch of applications. I was fortunate in that I was accepted to a lot of places, again, just because science is so small and you really benefit from networking. And then I wanted to be in New York City, so I'm at the medical campus in New York City. Um, So that's why I ended up at Cornell. The city plus the amazing research, obviously. Yeah, I mean, that is... That's so amazing. And one of the things that you said that I want to bring back up is that you wouldn't do it now. And I would say, keep doing that, you know, keep throwing that line out there, keep fishing and and introducing yourself to people because look where it's gotten you so far, you know, so you just never know. And I love the fact that you are 
are you were so willing to talk to people and I think you should still be that willing and go after whatever you want. So that's that's my little two cents on that. Um, but let's talk about before Cornell and in high school. Like, what got you into science? What got you into neuroscience and wanting to study the brain? Yeah. So I guess what got me into wanting to study the brain, so it's two things. So one of all the sciences, I find neuroscience the most relatable. Like, if you sort of look at the broad array of sciences, you know, you've got chemistry, which is interesting, but it's sort of abstract physics, like, who understands that, <laughs> um, you know, like, you know, earth sciences, but neuroscience is really something that you see and you interact with every day, even with just a conversation you're having with somebody. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting, but also I had a personal connection to it. Um, I had a great aunt and a great uncle who were siblings, one of which had down syndrome and one of which had schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. So growing up, um, I guess society sort of labeled them as abnormal, mm-hmm. but because I grew up with that, it was normal to me. And so um, I guess I sort of grew up really close to these mental disorders and understanding that, you know, they're not traditionally disorders the way that society likes to label them. And I guess that sort of sparked my interest in further understanding the brain. Okay. And so you you had a personal uh, a personal stance in studying the brain. But was there anyone in science that was like, you know, you should push pushing you that way and saying, yeah, study science, study science, like someone in your family or friend of the family or what first sparked your mind to say science is what I want to do? I think so. Nobody really in my family was pushing me to do science. My mom is in education um, in like early childhood development education. My dad had a construction company. So science was not, you know. (laughs) an active part of my household. I think sort of some of my just natural characteristics lent themselves to science. For example, scientists always ask questions. Scientists Mm -hmm. are always curious. Scientists always want to know why something's going on. And just very early on, that was sort of just my personality. And then that curiosity, it's just, I guess you call it an intellectual curiosity. That translated to, you know, once we started having biology classes, instead of just writing down what the teacher would tell me, I wondered, hmm, well, why do two parents that are completely normal have a child that's abnormal? Or, you know, why does an Asian person and a black person have a child that <laughs> is this skin tone? You know, like you, you sort of wonder why all these scientific things happen. Right. And I guess that sort of pushed me into science. I wanted to know why and I wanted to find out the answers. <laughs> nice. I mean, yeah, a Science mind is a very curious mind, you know, and um, one of the things that dampen that is when a child is said, don't ask questions or don't worry about that or whatever the case may be, or it's, it's this way because I told you this way. No, you know, cultivate that thought process and let them ask questions. I think that's amazing that you were able to ask the questions and then go into yeah. it. And so I was definitely able to do that. I think having the mom in the early, early childhood child development It was really funny because my parents were very different. My dad was very much old school disciplinary because I said so. And my mom was the exact opposite. Like, let them do what they want. Don't spank the kids, (laughs) which would frequently cause small arguments. But I think that I really benefited from just being able to ask questions. And that's really cool. And so now that you um, got a working prototype for SALT, where do you see that going in the future? Definitely. So we have a clinical trial lined up, a funded clinical trial. We are awaiting IRB approval, which is Institutional Review Board, which is a long way of saying all of our ethical 
stipulations are in place. Yeah, all the so. light, all the red tape, especially to deal with humans. It's way more Correct. red tape to deal with humans than anything else. Definitely. Um, so that's our plan. So we are waiting to start our 200 subject clinical trial. Our plan is to basically prove that our prototype works, um, improve our prototype if there are places to improve our prototype, and then also show that people actually use it. So a really sort of big issue in health tech is that, and even honestly in all startups, but especially in health tech and especially in medicine, you find that people, like founders often have an if you build it, they will come mentality. And that's sort of something that we we can't always assume, especially in the medical field. As it stands, people barely take their medicine as it is. If somebody has like a, a very bad bacterial infection, there's a 50% chance they'll take their antibiotics. Um, That's really crazy. Bad. That's really <laughs> that, crazy. Like, a serious issue. Yes. So something like salt intake, it's not a matter of immediate life and death, but long-term life and death. We still have to convince people to use it. So if right. people won't take their antibiotics, why will they take a salt test? Right. So part of something we're doing in our clinical trial is, is figuring out you know, what percentage of people are actually engaged in using it and how we can increase um, adherence. Okay. And when do you see the uh, start of your clinical trials happening? Hopefully in the next two months. Cross our fingers. <laughs> I got mine's crossed. And okay. <laughs> so, okay, I don't want to dive too much into your company. I know that's your company and what you're doing. And so what are you, uh, what's your plans once you get your PhD? Definitely. So really exciting plans. Um, I will continue sort of my my trajectory of mixing business and science. Um, I have signed an offer with a large um, healthcare consulting firm, or rather a large consulting firm, and I'll be working a lot in their healthcare group. So that'll be really exciting. And so basically what I'll be doing in this capacity is um, helping big healthcare companies solve big problems. So that includes all sorts of companies, pharmaceutical companies, small digital health companies, insurance companies, anything across the board, um, and continuing salt. Oh, amazing, amazing stuff. <laughs> and so, like, let's let's kind of get away from the sciences and talk about what you do outside of that. So I know you have school. I know you have your company. But what are you doing outside of that, like, for fun? How You know, what does Fawn do that gets her mind out the STEM world and into the regular world? Definitely. So I do a lot of volunteering. Um, I volunteer at this organization called America Needs You, okay. where basically it's sort of like big sister, little sister, or big brother, little brother. You're assigned a mentee for two years, and you meet up with them in sort of structured curriculum settings, um, the first year for twice a month, the second year for once a month. And my mentee is a college undergrad, and they actually focus on first-generation college students. Um, which is a cause that's really dear to me because my mom's a first-generation college student. So um, I do that. <laughs> that takes yeah. up a lot of my time on the weekends. But I'm, it's really rewarding, really fun. I bet it does. <laughs> it sounds like it does. <laughs> Quite a time commitment. But what else do you do? Yeah. Um, I also volunteer occasionally with Black Girls Code. Okay. They're pretty active in New York. Um, they're in the Google building now, which is amazing. Um, what else do I do? I mean, New York City is amazing. There's so many things to do. I go to jazz shows. Nice. Um, what else do I do? I like find food. I like always find random food. I was like at a Turkish restaurant last month. That was really good. Yeah, you know what? I love food. I always <laughs> any new city I go into, I, I definitely do not want to eat something I can eat at home. 
But you know, I'm not eating anything that's a chain. Take me to like the nice little small small mom and pop place or something like that where I can enjoy something new. <laughs> I like stuff like that, so same boat there. Yeah. Sorry, my interests aren't more like exciting. Like I don't like skydive or anything in my free time. I just I just hang out and eat food. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine, you know. Not everybody is born to skydive because I'm not born to skydive at all. I'm not jumping out of anyone's plane. There's no way in AGW hockey sticks that you're gonna get me <laughs> jump out of a plane. So trust me, I understand. But you know, so what is uh what's next with um after you've completed SALT, do you think SALT is going to be something that can be mainstream, like a, a blood thermometer? Not a blood thermometer. That sounds so stupid. Uh, I can't think of what they're called. But like a diabetes test. Yeah, diabetes tester. Yeah, definitely. That's the plan. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I hope happens. It's every founder's dream, you know, for their product to be part of everybody's everyday life. Right. So and have you ever thought about like uh, med school or talking or going to be a doctor and knowing more about that doctor side of it versus just the research? Um, no. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> so I actually started off college as pre-med um, because, again, when you're like in high school and college, you don't really know truly what being a researcher is. So if you're good at science, everybody tells you to be pre-med. Um, and then once I got to college, I started doing research because I wanted to make my medical school application look better. And then I realized two things. I realized, one, I like research a lot, and two, hospitals are really depressing places. Um, <laughs> everybody's sick. Yes. It's gray. Everybody's stressed. Yes. Um, and I didn't want to spend the rest of my life there. So that sort of led me to the research track and really, you know, finding finding the cures to things. That's what I wanted to do. And I think that as a scientist, you really get um, in-depth knowledge of small areas, which is what I wanted to do. And then once I got into graduate school and I sort of discovered the business part and marrying the business and the science, I realized that people in the lab make discoveries all the time. For example, that equation that I worked with in my class and that equation had been just sitting around for five years. And many times these awesome discoveries never get to market. They never get into people's hands. So then my shift sort of shifted. I guess my focus sort of shifted and I really became passionate about bringing science into people's hands to better society. Okay. So do you see yourself doing more uh, business and science marrying? Like, do you see yourself starting more companies or at least somehow bringing that science to the limelight for people to see? Oh, yeah, of course. That's definitely what I'm interested in doing. I actually spent my summer, last summer I was in Boston, um, where I got to spend time at a, a big venture capital firm, a big biotech venture capital firm, um, which basically focused on creating technologies and investing in technologies, um, in scientific technologies to bring to market. And so that was a really great experience for me. And it really solidified, um, really solidified me wanting to be in this space. So I definitely think I definitely want to start another company. I want to be a serial entrepreneur. Nice. Um, I definitely love being involved in the deal flow and investing side of it. In fact, a friend of mine is raising a small $5 million fund right now, a healthcare fund. Um, and it's like this very innovative idea. He wants to like put together healthcare thought leaders um, that are under 30 <laughs> and have them invest in ideas. Right. And so I'm helping him out with that idea and it's really exciting. I love the idea of, you know, helping other technologies grow, helping other businesses grow. Um, but I'm excited to see what happens in the future. <laughs> That's awesome. And do you think that, um, 
research, the future of research is definitely going to be uh, partnered with technology. Do you see that in the future? Or how do you see research definitely. having, especially like bio research? What do you see the future of that? Yeah. Wow. That's a big question. <laughs> so, okay. So let's start with just the, the future of bio research. I think so. I don't know if most people know, but a lot, the majority of scientific research is funded by the government um, through the NIH, the National Institute of Health. They have grants. Right. Um, as you know, we have a new administration in right now. As you know, that administration has already been cutting funding to the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. Yes. Um, <laughs> a lot of people are worried that the NIH and the NSF, the National Science Foundation, are next to go. Um, very valid concern. So people are worried about that. However, the good thing about that is that there are large companies, large like large private companies, like large pharmaceutical companies that have a ton of money that are putting, that have been and are putting in lots of money toward research. Okay. Um, and I personally think that will lead to, like a lot of these companies have targeted interests in certain things. For example, let's say Pfizer. Um, let's say Pfizer has a diabetes drug on the market right now. They're going to want to make that better. They're going to want to develop new drugs. So they're going to put a ton of money toward diabetes. So I think this new sort of privatized funding model will lead to faster breakthroughs in mm. very specific disease areas. Okay. Um, yeah. And I predict, I'm going to randomly make a prediction that Alzheimer's disease will be solved in 20 years. Oh, really? <laughs> and I say that because I work on it. Right. I've noticed <laughs> lots of funding and lots of effort being put toward Alzheimer's. Okay. That's good. And do you think that um, the future of that research is going to have to have a technology component to it? For people to not want to use it, but have access to it? Do you think technology, that field of technology and biotech is growing? Yeah, I think as you, you see right now, tons of digital health companies right now, um, there's sort of this saying, if you go to like any sort of pitch for any sort of health company, everybody's first slide is, healthcare is broken. That's like <laughs> the first slide that everybody has across the board. Um, but I think it's true. I think that healthcare really is broken. There are just a ton of outdated systems. Um, there's a ton of outdated drugs, a ton of outdated technologies. And I think that digital health and just sort of the adding the efficiency of technology to such a slow, old industry like healthcare will definitely facilitate um, a lot of new novelties, a lot of new inventions, a lot of new processes. Okay, cool. So... Making sure that, do you think the students coming behind you who might, let's say, want to study neuroscience, should they have a background in tech or a background in computer science as well? Do you think that would be helpful for them in the future? I mean, definitely. I think, well, the, the good thing about neuroscience is that it's very interdisciplinary. So you can be a scientist and you can get into it. You can be an engineer and get into it. You can be a computer scientist and get into it. And that's evident by the people in my lab. We're from all sort of different types of training. Okay. Um, I think across the board, though, yes, we are sort of moving more toward tech. Even this year at my school, they implemented a new quantitative bio class that everybody had to take just mm -hmm. because they sort of recognized the role in really understanding some of those technical things. Um, and also just from a personal perspective, I think that having just a technical skill set allows you to be much more marketable in any field that you're in. So, yeah, I would recommend that. Awesome. So yeah, we are almost out of time. So at the very end of the show, I like to give 
the um, participants some time to talk about whatever they want to talk about. You know, if you want to talk more about salt, that's great. And then I also will ask you if there was some uh, student who sees what you're doing and wanted some advice, what would you give them if they wanted to follow in your footsteps? Definitely advice. I would say um, advice for students. Wow, that's hard. I'll definitely say not, don't give up. And I'll be very specific in that very general advice. I realize you probably hear don't give up all the time. That um, is, that, that does like, ring a lot. <laughs> that does come out a lot. And I remember being in, in the undergrad shoes and seeing these people do these amazing things. And I remember thinking, I will never be like that. Like, that must all be so easy. <laughs> um, but that's not the case. <laughs> it's, it's not easy, but you can definitely do it. Um, there have definitely been struggle points in my career, for sure. When you're an undergrad, classes are tough. And when I remember being an undergrad and getting a C on an exam um, and feeling like it was the end of the world. I did great in some classes, and there were some classes I didn't do great in. But I graduated, and I'm still getting a PhD, and I did not graduate with a 4.0. <laughs> so that's the most important thing for undergrads to understand, that your grades are not the end-all, be-all. You need to graduate and do well. Mm -hmm. um, and I will also say that failure is sort of part of what happens. Um, life does not go perfectly for anybody. <laughs> That's just a fact of life. But I think that what distinguishes, and also like among the people that I've met and the founders that I've seen and the successful scientists that I've seen, the ones that are most successful are the ones that have experienced some sort of hardship because mm -hmm. then they learn how to bounce back from that. And then once that hardship comes again, they're super efficient at just getting through it. Um, so I would say definitely push through. Um, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, thank you very much for coming on my show today, sharing your story, and allowing people to have a better understanding of what's, what types of jobs are out there, especially if they decide to go into STEM, you know, because what you're doing is multifaceted. I mean, it falls under science, but then you're doing computational work, which is computer work. Also, you're implementing mathematics into it and technology. So, and, and you're a founder. So there's so many things that you're doing that's STEM and business related. So sometimes the reason I do this show is because sometimes people don't understand what's out there if they were yeah. to go into a STEM career. So thank you for being on this show. And I want to say thank you to the audience for joining us this week for In the Know, Kat Bobino. If you have any questions for Fawn, please feel free to email them to me and I will get them over to her. Until next week, thank you.